You're listening to Enclave Community Church. For more information about Enclave, please visit us online at enclavecc.com. Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 25 through chapter 6, verse 10. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We ask that as Jay preaches this morning, that you would bless him and give him Holy Spirit influence and words to share with us. Open our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So back when uh, Andrew started preaching through Acts, I started reading through Acts and then as I was reading through Acts, getting to Paul's missionary journeys, which are quite a bit ahead in the story, I wanted to go back through those epistles, those letters that Paul wrote to each of these churches that are mentioned in Acts. And, and um, Galatians actually isn't mentioned as a church in Acts, but it's one of those Pauline epistles that I've been going through for a while and really getting a lot out of it. And of course, when I get something out of, those, of a scripture passage and I want to share it with you guys. So this book, Galatians, is written actually to a collection of churches rather than to a single church. Many of Paul's letters are written to a church in a specific city, which may not be all in one building, but they are all one fellowship characterized by that city and the inhabitants of that city. So Galatia is actually a region. It's an area in kind of north, mostly west-central Turkey, what is now Turkey at the time was called Asia Minor in the Roman Empire. And the interesting thing to me about that is that the people that lived there, the Galatians or the Galatae, they're Celts. You guys are familiar with that group, right? The Celts. They were, they were a wide-ranging mostly European, but they're actually an Indo-European language group. And from Iberia, which is now Spain and Portugal, then north to the British Isles, like completely dominating uh, France, where they were called Gauls. Notice the, the similarity, Galatians and Gaul. There's actually a place in, in Spain today called Galicia that comes from the same root. So these people are a collection of tribes. They, they share a, a very similar language, although there are local dialect changes. Uh, they had kind of a common religion, but with variations, and they had a similar culture. And they are basically the foundation for Western Europe. So a lot of us have an association in our own heritage 
from this people group. And so I think it's important for us to pay attention to what Paul says to the Galatians because when he speaks to the Galatians, he's speaking to us. So this, uh, this group of churches, Paul had spoken to them. He had preached the gospel to them. Uh, maybe, maybe kind of like um, he says anyway in Galatians that they knew that he spoke the gospel to them at first because of a bodily weakness. So he was having some kind of an illness uh, that slowed him down. And so he preached to the churches in Galatia. And this was on that second missionary journey where right after he was talking to the churches in, in Galatia, where apparently he had freedom, then God stopped him from talking in Asia. And he went on to uh, the West Coast where he met Luke, and then went on to Philippi and, and so forth. We've kind of talked through those things before. But uh, at this time, Paul had spoken to them, and he had some kind of a bodily affliction, which makes it kind of nice on, from, you know, as a mercy of God that within just a little time, he hooks up with a doctor who travels with him after that. But this bodily weakness kind of kept him there for a while, and he preached the gospel to them, and they received it gladly. They turned to Christ. But now Paul, in writing this letter, this letter is very different from most of his letters. It's like, um, in some ways, like the kind of harshest letter. It's very direct. Like He says things like, um, well, to paraphrase, he says, my jaw hit the floor to see, to think how quickly you are departing from Christ and no longer obeying the truth. And then in, in 3.1, he says, uh, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? So he's speaking very directly, kind of harshly, but he really loves these people. So it's not that he's uh, contemptuous of them. It's not that he doesn't care about their feelings. It's that what they are facing is so big and so important that he is being as direct as he can. He wants to like smack them upside the head and he's far away, so he can't do it physically, but he, he wants to get their attention and make his point. And his point is this. We cannot make ourselves more acceptable to God by our performance, by what we do by keeping rules. And that's what was tripping up the Galatians. There were these people, often from the church in Jerusalem, but there were these people who were Jewish Christians who were traveling around, and they made their living going and staying with people in different cities, and they would teach the people in these different cities, especially Gentiles who had not grown up with the Jewish religion, that the way to be a real Christian, like a, a second-tier Christian, was to believe in Christ, but keep the Jewish law. And if you kept the Jewish law, then you were really following Christ because after all, Jesus was a Jew, right? And, and God had given the law. And so that's what he really expects. And Jesus Christ is going to help you do that. Like the Jews couldn't do it before him, but Jesus Christ is going to help you do that and make yourself pleasing to God. Well, that, that sounds plausible. And frankly, it trips us up today in all kinds of ways. There are so many versions of legalism, and we're not so tripped up by the Jewish law. There are some groups who are, who like, are devoting themselves to the Jewish law, but most of us don't think we're, we're going to make ourselves approved to God by following the Jewish law, but we do think that if we do certain things and we don't do other things, 
that we're going to be more spiritually secure. We'll keep from stumbling. We'll keep from falling away. We'll keep ourselves secure in Christ, or we'll make ourselves more acceptable to Christ. We'll make ourselves more acceptable to God, or we'll make God happier. We'll make him like us more if we just do certain things and don't do other things. And that whole idea is so pernicious that Paul just wants to smack the Galatians because that has infiltrated their thinking. And he goes on to say things like, if you believe that, if you're going to follow some code of behavior, if you're going to follow some rules, then Christ will be of no advantage to you. And if you're going to follow any rules, then you ought to follow the law. And if you're going to follow the law, you should keep the whole law. Because the question for them centered around circumcision as a visible sign of God's covenant to Abraham. Now, we know that Christ is the fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham, right? And so God established this sign of the covenant, the circumcision. But Paul ties it to keeping the law. And he says, if you're going to be circumcised, then Christ will be of no advantage to you. Can you believe that? Paul, who glorifies Christ in everything that he does and says, he says, if you do that, if you follow some way of making yourself approved of God, then Christ will be of no advantage to you. Man, you got to take that seriously. And I am taking it more and more seriously because I still have those kinds of reflexes. I think it's kind of part of human nature that we would tend to look for something that we can do, look for some way to control how our spiritual life is going to go, how we can control God's favor, how we can control our sense of security. I think we're hardwired that way, and it is completely against genuine faith in Christ. We've got to let go of those things. And that's what Paul has been building this case, showing them that he is telling them the true gospel and then elaborating upon what the true gospel actually means in their lives. And he has gone through all of that and come up to chapter 5 where he outlines this contrast between living in the Spirit, living by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the flesh. That's a very well-known passage where he contrasts the works of the flesh there are 17 things that he mentions there, and I'm not going to go through them all. And then he includes, and things like that. So it's like an et cetera. And with the et cetera, that's 18 things. And then the list of the fruit of the Spirit, which you guys, I, I know you've heard, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, right? How many times have we heard that? But those things are what the Spirit naturally does in us. And there are only nine of those that he mentions. And, and it's not like those are individual things, like the Holy Spirit produces nine fruits. Those are the aspects of what the Holy Spirit does in us, because the main thing that the Holy Spirit does is he builds into us love, love for God, which shows up as love for each other. So that the whole thing about legalism and, and uh, which is really like the first thing I think of when I think of this book of Galatians, it's kind of an awkward introduction to this particular passage because this passage is very practical. And when we're talking practicality, we're talking things like do this and don't do that. So it like, how do you extricate that 
from the idea of making ourselves better by our own effort. This is something that we have to take to God and ask him by his Holy Spirit to help us take the goodness out of this, to recognize how his spirit could lead us and cooperate with that and receive it joyfully, but not get tripped up in making this a list of things to do and not do that are going to make us secure, that are going to make us approved of God because in Christ Jesus, we are already approved by God, right? Okay, so that, that's the introduction. <laughs> that's how we get to this passage. So turning from the description of living in the flesh versus living in the spirit, Paul begins to get practical. And uh, I want to back up one verse just to, to wrap up what he's been saying there, which I think is important for us to keep in mind as we look at the practicality of it. Verse 24 of, of 5 says, And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if you belong to Christ, you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, I find that very convicting because I still find in myself the works of the flesh popping up. I still find fleshly attitudes popping up out of me. And so if Paul is saying those who are in Christ, those who belong to Christ, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, I have to stop and think, where am I? Am I really following Christ? Well, I think that's why he actually uses this expression crucified rather than just simply put to death. In other places, he says put to death the deeds of the flesh. But when he says crucify the flesh, you guys are familiar with crucifixion, right? Somebody is lifted up to publicly be put to death in a very slow and painful process. And so the fact that my flesh is not yet dead does not mean that I have not crucified the flesh. If I have renounced the works of the flesh as I recognize them, and that's, that's lifting them up to public display, right? When I renounce the flesh, I no longer want to walk by those things of the flesh which have tempted me. I no, no longer want to be attached to any form of immorality. I no, no longer want to be motivated by my selfish desires or selfish ambitions or by my resentments, by my fears, by anything else that comes of the flesh. I don't want to be motivated by those things. And as I recognize that and as I declare that, then I'm lifting those things up, putting them on the cross. And they're not dead yet. It takes a long time. And it's a painful process for those to die. But that's where we are in Jesus Christ. And that's enough. They don't have to be dead yet because they're not going to be actually gone until we quit breathing, until we are no longer walking this earth. When we are with Christ face to face, those things will be gone. And we have not yet experienced what that will be like. But we get glimpses of it now as we have increasing power and increasing freedom from the works of the flesh that trip us up and bind us and hamper us and cause us all kinds of grief and cause other people around us grief too. But with that, we have the, the hope because God is changing us here and now. So that's why Paul says, if we live in the spirit, because that's what he has shown them up to now, the difference between living in the spirit and living in the flesh. So if we live in the spirit, if theoretically we are made alive 
by the Holy Spirit of God through Jesus Christ, then we should walk by the Spirit. We should keep in step with the Spirit, as ESV says. We should walk in the Spirit, as New King James and others say. But we are walking consistent with, guided by, and in harmony with the Spirit rather than the deeds of the flesh. And then Paul starts to tell us how that looks. He starts to tell us things that unpack for us what we can actually do to cooperate with the Spirit. And then these don't become rules. They don't become laws that are going to make us approved of God because we are already approved of God in Jesus Christ. But they still help us on our way. And that's why Paul is offering these things to the Galatians in contrast to the obedience to rules that the Judaizers are offering. So, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. First thing off, let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Now, we know that someone who is conceited is kind of offensive to us, right? So we can see how that's provoking to others. And if we are conceited and somebody else is getting glory, then we kind of begrudge that. We want to be the one that the spotlight is shining on, right? So you can see how conceit ties into those things that tear down our fellowship, where we're either envying other people or we're offending other people. Now, I kind of always thought, well, why is Paul instructing us this way? Because either you're conceited or you're not, right? And it's like, um, that's like, I can see other people who are conceited, but of, of course I'm not. Wow. <laughs> okay. So how do you become conceited? That's what Paul's saying. Don't become conceited, right? And how do you become conceited? It's by taking God's glory for yourself. You see, when the Holy Spirit is living in you and working in you, you are going to have good impulses. And when you act on those good impulses, it feels good. So let's say that you see somebody who um, is having a hard time. Maybe they, they're at the grocery store and their kid is just throwing a fit and, and having all kinds of trouble. And you just kindly walk up and, and say something kind and help them with whatever it is and things calm down. And, and they are so grateful and you feel really good about yourself. Well, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. And I hope things like that happen among us more and more. But you have a choice to make at that time. And I want you to recognize that you have a choice. The choice is when you do something good and beautiful, you can enjoy it and say, wow, I, I guess I am a pretty good person. Or you can enjoy it and say, thank you, God. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the motivation to allow me to participate in something that you can get the glory for. And if you honor God in your heart by giving him the glory for the good things that he leads you to do, you're safe. You're not only safe, but you're grateful. And gratitude is so sweet. Gratitude nourishes your soul. Whereas pride, the conceit that comes from pride, poisons your soul. And it poisons your relationships. So when you are led by the Spirit of God, this is a reality you have to face. God is going to give you 
opportunities to do good things. He prepared good things before us that we should walk in them. He prepared them before the foundation of the world. And he's going to open your eyes to those opportunities as you go through life. So what are you going to do when you do something beautiful? And he's going to do beautiful things with you. Is it going to prove that you're a good person? Or is it going to prove that he's a good God? That you can trust him and that he is in the process of changing you from being someone who is motivated by the flesh to someone who is more and more and more like Jesus Christ, motivated by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and joyfully glorifying God in word and deed. And that depends a lot on your choice, what you do in those circumstances. When you face the, the choice that comes from doing something good and beautiful. Now, I think the, the chapter break here is kind of unfortunate, so I just kind of go right over it. Um, going on to, to verse one of chapter six. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So since we are walking in this world, we are going to face temptations and we will stumble. And it, you don't achieve some level on this earth where you will no longer be tempted, where you will no longer stumble. Doesn't happen on this earth. So what that means is that for us to flourish together. So remember, I, I don't know if you remember, but we, uh, we talked about Philippians uh, a couple months ago. And in Philippians, it tells us that together we experience Christ because together we are seated with him in the heavenly places, far above all powers, principalities, and spiritual forces. We're seated with him even now together, but we experience that together. So we need to care for each other. And one of the ways that we do that is when we see a brother or sister stumble when they are overtaken in some transgression, we need to be prepared to respond and to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Now, that spirit of gentleness comes because we are motivated by the Holy Spirit, not by fear. So one of the things that I think has led to a subtle teaching of legalism throughout the, with the Western church is pastors fearing that their flock are going to go astray, are going to stumble, are going to fall. If pastors were comfortable with their people sinning occasionally, I don't think we'd have that pressure toward legalism. But pastors want to protect their flock because they know the devastating consequences of those kind of failures, of those stumblings. And those stumblings, like I said, can happen to anyone. And so if one of the elders, if a pastor is overtaken in some transgression. Like he's got to have people around him who are willing to confront, who are willing to come alongside and say, man, that, that wasn't good. That wasn't right. That wasn't from the spirit of God. And he may want to protect his position and resist it. So the gentleness might have to be very direct. But if you're motivated by the Holy Spirit, you don't have to be right, but you do have to say what's true. And let the Holy Spirit work on it. 
And that applies in the same way and with the same level of respect and compassion and care to like a vagrant who wanders into the church, receives Christ, and then frequently stumbles. And when he, when he stumbles in some transgression, he needs to be confronted with that same respect, that same gentleness, that same care, even when he's done it again. We're at different places, and we're going to grow, and it's going to look different. Like when my kids were very, very young, like between zero and six months, we had to change their diapers multiple times a day, right? Now, if they're five years old and that's still happening, that shows a particular problem. But things change, and, and that didn't keep happening. Boy, am I grateful for that. <laughs> but even if we have to care for people in a more pointed and particular way, it doesn't mean that they are less in God's kingdom, in God's family. Babies are just as important as the adults in a family, right? And that's what we're going to find when people first come to Christ. But as they're cared for and as they are treated with gentleness and cleaned up and, and restored in that spirit of gentleness, they grow. And they will come to the place where they recognize that as a normal function of the body of Christ instead of a punishment. Because it's not a punishment. It's the way the body works together. And the process for those who, who recognize the need and want to be involved in that is first look to yourself, lest you also be tempted. And you can be tempted toward harshness because you're impatient. And the harshness may also come from a sense of embarrassment. You don't really want to deal with that. And so because you're kind of tensed up inside, you speak harshly. Okay, the way to, to deal with that is to release that to the Holy Spirit, wait on his timing be ready to speak, but, but trust him with the little nudge to say, go ahead. It's time to talk about it. And that allows you to decompress. It allows you not to bear the responsibility for how it turns out. And it protects you from being led astray by your own well-intentioned effort to restore somebody who has stumbled. Now, verse 2. Verse 2 and verse 5 are very interesting. They're closely linked, but they're distinct and different. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And this verse is precious to me in part because I see that happening in this fellowship. And I am so grateful. It shows that God is up to something really good here. We're bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. Christ's love is actually taking root in us. It's growing. It's producing fruit, the fruit of caring for each other. And I'm glad to see it. Uh, keep that in mind, though. Uh, that, that verse is connected also, not only with verse 5, but with verse 3, this next verse. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So that for that initial conjunction ties these two verses together. So we bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ because there's a danger for us that if we think we're something and we're not, then we deceive ourselves. So we need each other. We might have impressions 
about where we kind of fit in terms of ranking things. But somebody who walks spiritually for, for a long time can still stumble, right? That's what that, that first verse in chapter six is telling us. If anyone is overtaken in a trespass, right? So it doesn't matter how you've been walking, you can still stumble. So we're really no different. There are not levels in God's kingdom, levels of worth, levels of respectability, levels of privilege. No, we're all one and together we experience the transforming power of Jesus Christ. So if anyone thinks himself is a good Christian, then he's thinking he's something when he's nothing. We cannot stand alone. We were not designed to be Lone Ranger Christians. We're designed to be in fellowship. We're designed to nurture, to care for each other, to hold each other accountable, but to rub against each other. And so like iron sharpens iron, we're also supposed to be there to improve each other's perspective, to provide each other opportunities for compassion, but also for forgiveness, for care in so many different ways. So if anyone thinks himself to be something, that means you think you can stand alone. And if you think that, then you are deceiving yourself. Okay, so keep that in mind about bearing one another's burdens, all kinds of burdens. And the burden may be something where uh, instead of providing a meal for someone or instead of helping somebody out with a particular need, you're actually confronting them about a particular issue. That's part of bearing the burden as well. But, moving on to verse 4, but let each one examine his own work and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Now, ESV says his reason for boasting will be in himself alone and not in another. And that word is usually translated boasting. But it's a particular kind of boasting. It's used throughout the New Testament almost always in a positive way. Now, we don't think of boasting as positive. We think of it as like bragging, right? The boasting that Paul's talking about here is more like glorying in, something that you see and appreciate and that you think is good and beautiful, honorable, something that you delight in. It's glorying in something. And so your reason for glorying will be in yourself. But it's not because you're such a good person. It's because of what God is doing in you so that actually the glory is a reflection of his glory. And if you know that, then you are preserved. You're kept safe. You can walk in these beautiful works that God will prepare for you without the danger of becoming conceited when you're looking to him and you're glorying in what he's doing. And you're looking to yourself because, well, at, uh, we just had our annual conference. And I know a lot of you guys know that because a lot of you helped us with it. Uh, and our at our annual conference, a lot of the missionaries, who I only see, some of them once a year, maybe twice a year, they were coming up and they were saying really kind and affirming things to me. And honestly, it was hard for me to receive. Uh, not, not because I thought they were insincere, but because I just don't really see it. But I know that even beyond what I can see, God is at work. And so if God provides somebody a blessing that I can't see, it's okay, right? 
And if he wants me to know it, and so he allows them or has them say something really positive and nice to me, I still can't see it coming from me. But I can accept that it's real. And I can accept that it's his working through me. And I can trust that he will continue to do that as pleases him. So I can continue to be faithful. Because if I never know that what I'm doing has any positive effect, pretty quick my motivation will dry up. And if I think that what I'm doing is because I'm so important, how could they get along without me? Then my head swells up, chokes off my heart, and I'm cut off from the Spirit of God. But if I know that God is doing things that I can't even tell, that I can't even recognize, and I trust him that that's the case, then I'm kept safe. Then I can continue to follow. He'll give me the affirmation and the encouragement that I need day by day, sometimes more often than day by day, like hour by hour. But he'll give me what I need to keep going and continue to serve him, glorify him. And he gets the glory instead of me. Because if I take that glory, we wrap back around to that part where I'm in danger of stumbling, of cutting myself off from him. For each one, verse 5, for each one shall bear his own load. So going back to verse 2, that says, um, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 5 says, for each one shall bear his own load. Now they're linked with two other statements that I'll get to in just a minute, but those almost seem contradictory. So bear one another's burdens for each shall have to bear his own load. They're actually two different words. So there are different ways of, of interpreting this sort of dichotomy, but I'll, I'll give, maybe I'll give them both to you. But anyway, um, in the first place, that burden from the first uh, instance, from verse two, is it, it comes from the same word that we get barometric from. It refers to pressure. And... We can help each other when life presses on us. Now, for some people, and one of the ways that's commonly interpreted is, is like, like we go through life, da, 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 everything's happy, everything's good. We go through life and then something happens. We get sick. We have cancer. We have some other issue that debilitates us. And people can come alongside, bring us a meal, sit with us, be encouraging pray for us. They can come alongside and help in those ways. And so that's bearing one another's burdens. And that is bearing one another's burdens. But that sense of pressure is something that I tend to experience a lot more than just once in a while. And we all experience life differently. And so your experience does not have to match mine. But that sense of pressure, like I said, is something that I experience almost constantly. And so what I think God means in bearing one another's burdens is not only do we pray for each other, but we're kind to each other. We're friends. Like one of the things that makes my life worth living, frankly, is my friends. I love you guys. I don't always have an opportunity to express it in any meaningful way, but I really do. And it's meaningful to me to know that you guys are still 
walking the walk, still with us in fellowship, still moving toward Jesus Christ. And when I see you guys, like on Sunday morning, like I am almost never depressed on Sunday morning because I come and I see you guys. Uh, we're greeting each other. I'm hearing a little more of your story. We're catching up. And, and to me, that's kind of a high point for the week. Now, you should still come even if you're depressed. And maybe you won't leave still not depressed, but your brothers and sisters will know. They will care for you by praying for you, and it will help your spiritual development. Anyway, that's how I experience life, is that you guys help me just by being here, by being part of this fellowship. And that is something that makes my life, like I say, much more pleasant than it would be otherwise. And that's what I think is one of the big important things that God, speaking through Paul, means by bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But there is that flip side of it where things pop up and we can bear one another's burdens by helping them with catastrophes that happen, with uh, exceptional circumstances that arise, and we can come alongside, help those things. So then going back to verse 5, for each one shall bear his own load. Now, the load in this verse refers to a commercial document, a bill of lading. So it's like the receipt that you would get when you give your goods to the delivery person, the freight person. And they're going to take your goods and they're going to deliver them to somebody far away. And they give you a receipt for that. And then they will expect a receipt. They'll have the, the person you deliver it to give a receipt as well. It's a, it's a commercial document that shows there's accountability, there's specificity. That means like this is about a particular thing. And the way I interpret that is that God has appointed for each one of us. Think of how many times Jesus in his parables uses the illustration of a master and servants. He does a lot and he applies different lessons from that relationship. But God owns us. And God has the right to tell us, to set for us, to lay before us a particular path in life that nobody else is going to walk. Now, we will walk that in concert and in relationship with other people, but we will walk that path by ourselves with just us and God. And this is not uh, refuting what I said before about how important our fellowship is. It's just that we don't experience the same things, even when we're in the same room together. We don't see things exactly the same way, and we don't have the same history going to it. And we don't have the same experiences coming up this afternoon or tomorrow morning. We have our own path that is assigned by God on purpose. And it's closely connected with that idea that I mentioned earlier, that God has prepared works for us, good works, that we should walk in them from before the foundation of the world. When he set up this whole thing with Jesus Christ to be our propitiation, our savior, he knew what it was going to mean for each one of us. And he appointed at that time a specific path for each of us to follow. And nobody can take our place along that path. That is something that we do between ourselves and God that we're accountable to him for. And nobody else is accountable to him for that. Nobody else bears the same load that is assigned to us. And that may be things that we have to do, but it also may be things that we have to experience. 
Like somebody, one person can be born without an arm. And we, you know, we would be glad that, that that wasn't us, right? But they can still go through life with one arm and they can still glorify God and do whatever God has appointed for them to do with that limitation. Another, another of us may have a biochemical predisposition to depression, to feeling bad. But that does not relieve us from the need to rely, to trust in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't entitle us to disregard what God would have us do in the midst of, mitigated by and constrained by, that those feelings that may be part of our biochemical makeup. A lot of, a lot of feelings we can have may come from our own behavior. They're things that we have a certain amount of control over. But there are feelings that we don't have any control over. And that's part of the individual assignment that God has made for each one of us that is part of his load that we bear. Like Jesus said, each person has to take up his cross daily and follow me. That's the assignment from God that God has assigned to each person, and it's different for each person. So, let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. That seems pretty clear. I mean, um, I think it is, has historically been applied most of the time, and I think it's a legitimate application that people who labor in teaching the word should be provided for by the church. But that's not the only application of it. It says, share all good things with him who teaches. And so when somebody labors in teaching the word, the people who receive that and whose lives are being transformed by faith in Jesus Christ should share their progress, should share the stories of how God has met them in their day-to-day -day life with the one who's teaching him so that he's encouraged and can see the benefit that God is working through his labor of sharing the word. Does that make sense? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So those choices that I talked about before, whether you're going to take your good deeds, which God is going to ensure that you do, whether you're going to take those as a, a testimony to your own goodness or to God's goodness and be grateful for it, those kind of things are where you have the opportunity to either sow to the flesh or sow to the spirit. Anytime you are honoring God, pointing back to him, referring to him in your heart, in your mind, with your lips and with your behavior, then you're sowing to the spirit. And when you are focused on yourself, when you are motivated by what you think you need, when you are motivated by the fears that you're going to satisfy by taking this precaution or doing that, then you are sowing to the flesh, even if from everyone else's perspective, it appears innocent. Between you and God, he knows, and he will let you know if you're willing to listen. So let's not grow weary while doing good. 
For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. This reminds us that this process is not evident from the beginning. So if you're recently come to Christ, you may not recognize that you have done any good deeds that he has motivated yet. And you may think, well, apparently that's not me. I'm not going to have that experience. Yeah, you will. You will. And if you haven't had it yet, it's something to look forward to. See, when a farmer plants seeds, what does the field look like? The field looks like dirt, right? But then, after the rains have fallen on it, the field turns green. And then you can see that all that green is actually individual little plants that are growing up. And they grow, they grow taller, and then they begin to bear fruit, whether it's corn or wheat or some other crop like that. It grows up and it begins to head out and it produces fruit. But this is a process. At first, you don't see anything from it, but you still have to sow. And then you have to wait almost with no expectation of any reward for your labor. It's only your faith that the things that have happened before, that historically repeated cycles of planting, growing, later harvesting, are going to work for you too. That's the only thing that will motivate you. And so when God tells us that this is the way our lives work and this is what it means to follow him, and this is how we can cooperate with the Holy Spirit living through us, We may not experience these things right at first, but don't give up. Don't stop planting just because this field still looks like dirt. Keep doing what God has set before you to do because after you finish planting this field and then this field, you may turn around and notice that, oh, that field has turned green already. But you have to continue even when you don't see the result. Don't lose heart. Therefore, since this process is is not a direct payoff, it's not like instant feedback, it's not like uh, instant gratification. It's like you do something and there's no return for a while. Because of that, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. Even people that may not be attractive to us. Even people that we might not think deserve it. Even people we think that's a bad investment. That field doesn't need any seed. It's not going to grow. <coughs> Excuse me. Let us do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. That means especially to each other. So we can practice doing good for people outside the church by doing good for people inside the church, where we typically have a positive response, where we typically can see some effect of it, where we have the benefit of doing good towards someone that we know and love. And that love then grows. So as we do good toward each other, we learn to do good to all. But the injunction is there that we should do good to all. So, what do you think? Does that sound like a way to live? 
It does sound like a way that's going to require God's help, doesn't it? So, let's pray, and then we're going to share communion together. I hope everybody got their elements. But let's pray first. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the encouragement of the things that you revealed to and through Paul. I thank you for the words that you have given us and for your Holy Spirit to interpret them to us and for us. We look to you now. We remember that all of these good things point back to Jesus Christ. They point back to your plan through the ages of bringing us to yourself through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and through the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit. Continue to be with us. Guide our steps. Help us to notice when you have done something good and help us to respond in gratitude rather than thinking that we've at last made it or we're, we're finally what we wanted to be. May you be glorified in us. In Jesus' name.